Climate change is our biggest problem. This podcast lays out some of the smartest fixes for climate change. My name is Matt, and this is Climate Solutions. Today, how your stomach can save humanity. Food. You know, the stuff you put in your mouth when you've run out of fingernails from watching the news. We all grow up thinking of the connection between food and the climate. When we're only a few years old, we learn that we need sunshine and rain to make crops grow. So in other words, the climate has an impact on our food. But climate change switches that around. The way we grow our food now has a big impact on the climate. And right now, we're at crisis point. If we want to stop climate change, we have to do some pretty hard thinking about what we eat and how we produce it. I'm going to tell you about the research and innovation behind that pretty hard thinking. Meantime, subscribe to the entire series of climate solutions from the European Investment Bank, the EU Climate Bank. You'll find out how bad things are, and then we'll make you feel a lot better by telling you exactly what you can do to fight climate change. Our quest for food has historically been at the planet's expense. For millennia, when we wanted to raise animals or grow crops, nature was plowed over or chopped down or burned to a crisp to make room. That way of feeding ourselves has brought us to a crisis. I'm going to give you some statistics now. I can see Nicola dozing off. Stay with me, Climate Croat. This episode isn't going to be all about horrifying numbers or numbers at all. Okay, hit me with the data, Matt. As much as half of the Earth's forests were felled over the last 5,000 years. Pretty good data, huh? Yeah, thanks, Matt. I'm going to use this bit of information for my next conversation with my grandmother. Ah, Your grandma's going to hear it here first on Climate Solutions. Anyhow, in the first decade of this century, tropical countries lost 7 million hectares of forests each year, mainly for agriculture. That's an area the size of Ireland or, or Sierra Leone, depending on which of those two countries you have a better mental picture of. For your benefit, Nicola, it's an area half the size of Croatia. Even a Croat who wasn't the climate Croat would be shocked. Oh my God. (laughs) You sound very shocked. While I'm making ridiculous and shocking comparisons, it's like destroying a forest the size of Luxembourg every 10 days. Now, Luxembourg is small, but it's an actual country. That's nuts. Nourishing the world's 7.6 billion people is degrading ecosystems, depleting water resources, and driving climate change. Agriculture for food and non-food products like leather accounts for over one-third of global greenhouse gas emissions and roughly one-third of global energy demand. The world's population is expected to hit 11 billion by 2100. If we're to feed everybody without destroying the last of our natural resources, agriculture needs to find a way to coexist with nature. We have to make agriculture more efficient through innovation reduce the roughly 30% of food that is currently lost or wasted, and we have to rethink what and how we eat. Before the Industrial Revolution, a farmer was lucky if he was able to feed his family. After the Industrial Revolution, advances in machinery and technology enabled that one farmer to feed several hundred people. Industrial food production is often criticized, but it did enable us to feed large populations with relatively small human resources. Unfortunately, we may have overdone it. The ability to produce more food, more cheaply, has led to overdoses of chemical fertilizers, pesticides, and industrial animal production. 
The price we pay for food became the main driver in the industry, and for a long time the environmental impact was largely ignored. We're bumping up against the limits of that approach. While global demand for food is expected to grow 98% by 2050, the available land suitable for agriculture will remain unchanged. We have to make agriculture less resource-intensive, more productive, and more sustainable. Are we done with the statistics now, Matt? These are kind of making me both sad and angry, so will you move on? I don't want you to be miserable and angry all the time, Nicola. Let's talk about some solutions. Big data is already helping farmers track and better target their production. GPS soil sampling, for example, allows farmers to create something called soil fertility maps with information about a field's nutrients, its pH level, and other data. That enables farmers to make better decisions about which seeds to plant, where to plant them, and what kinds of fertilizer to use. Farmers can also integrate data from other areas of the farm, so information on crops or animal growth, financial figures, how much they have in stock or upcoming weather patterns, just to name a few. That information helps farmers to make quick and rational decisions in otherwise complex surroundings. It's not just about tracking life on the farm. Farmers can analyze the costs and benefits of certain kinds of production and better track supplies to reduce unnecessary inventory. Those efforts can in turn increase profitability and output. In dairy farming, the adoption of automated milking systems will lead to an explosion of data that can be analyzed. Automated milking systems can store about 200,000 data points per year for a single cow. It doesn't mean we're all going to be stuck listening to data-crazy cows like some boring middle-aged man who just bought himself a gym membership. I don't care if your full udder volume has gone through the roof since you started chewing the cud three times with your first two stomachs, Ermintrude. Just shut up and yield some milk. Yield some milk! <coughs> Technologies like blockchain-based smart monitoring systems aim to increase the transparency of supply chains by allowing a product to be traced back to a specific farm. So what is even a blockchain? My young Croatian friend, no matter how many times I tell you what a blockchain is, you won't remember. No one does. It's one of those things that's just in one ear, straight out the other. Like when you pretend to listen to a kid telling you which is the best Disney princess and, and why. Or any time a Coldplay song comes on the radio. But okay, you asked for it. So blockchain basically stores all transactions in blocks of code that are combined to form a single blockchain. The technology is able to track products according to certain parameters, such as temperature, time to market, and origin. Okay, got that? Go on then, smarty pants. Tell me what a blockchain is. I'll give you a moment. Can you do that again? See, I told you so. Anyway, being able to track a product in such detail helps build consumer trust and improve food safety. For example, frozen food can be monitored to determine whether the food remained at freezing temperatures during transport. Blockchain technology has limits, though. Storing a large number of transactions provides an incredible amount of information about a product, but the accumulation of information will increase the size of the blockchain over time. For blockchain to work in the agri-food industry, the technology needs to be able to manage greater amounts of data than is currently possible. The other side of the problem is this. 
When you think of high-tech startups and nerdy computer geniuses, Nicola, you probably are not thinking of farmers, right? Well, 56% of farmers in the European Union are 55 or older, and 31% are 65 or older. Most of these farmers were trained and educated before digital tools became widespread. You'll understand the implications of that if you've ever tried to talk to your grandparents on Skype. Why can't I hear you? It's telling me microphone not activated. But there's good news here too. The higher average age means that European farming is due for a change of guard with a younger generation taking over. Younger generations grew up in a digital environment and tend to have a basic understanding of digital tools. Agri-food companies' fear of losing control of their data is harder to address. Farmers and other producers worry that opening up access to their data will take away their ability to negotiate prices and turn them into nothing more than field hands. One solution is to create data cooperatives run by farmers, like the Grower Information Service Cooperative. This allows farmers to securely store their data. It also provides anonymous data from a network of farmers that members can use as a benchmark. The Farmers Business Network and Farm Mobile uh, provide similar services. There are some limits to this, of course. Farms are not like manufacturing plants. A farmer can't build a prototype cornfield in two weeks and then perfect it over the next few months. To see if a new digital application actually results in a higher yield of corn, a farmer has to wait for the corn to grow. And corn can only be grown once a year. If a farmer dedicates a field to a new, innovative way of growing corn, then he may have to take that field out of production while he tests the new approach. That means lower output and lower revenue. Okay, Nicola, you're pretty slim. How many people in the world do you think are obese? Well, I would guess maybe around 500 million. Two billion. Wow. And how many people are undernourished? Well, that's going to be lower, I guess. Let's say 300 million. 821 million. That's a lot of hungry people. Nonetheless, even if we're not obese, most of us eat more food than ever, and we definitely eat more meat. Since the 1960s, the amount of food produced globally has exploded. Meat and vegetable oil production has doubled since 1961, according to the UN, and food calories per person has grown about one-third. The problem with that is this. Meat and dairy products produce more carbon emissions and require more land than vegetable sources of protein. We could significantly reduce the environmental impact of what we eat by changing our diets to focus more on whole grains, legumes, fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds, and meat and dairy that's produced in a sustainable way. By 2050, dietary changes alone could return several million square kilometers of land to nature and radically reduce carbon emissions. Meat, fish and seafood, eggs and dairy use about 83% of the world's available farmland, but we only get 18% of our total calories from those foods. Emissions from animal products are typically higher because it requires twice as much vegetable protein to feed an animal as the protein gained from the animal's meat. In Brazil, the Amazon rainforest has often been burned or chopped down to make room for cattle ranching and crops used to feed livestock. Livestock feed is usually produced in one place and then transported to ranches in other areas like soybean crops from the Amazon that are shipped over to Europe to feed the cattle. Those factors increase meat's overall carbon footprint. 
So what should we do? Well, if we're not going to become vegan, we could just stop wasting food. The numbers on this are stunning. About 25 to 30 percent of the food produced globally is wasted. And that's not just by picky six-year-olds. Wasted food accounted for 10 percent of greenhouse gas emissions in the first half of this decade. Some governments are getting to grips with this. France throws away an estimated 10 million tons or 10 billion kilos of food each year. Why would anyone throw away French food? Well, it's a bit too heavy for me. Yeah, but what about a salad niçoise? Not everything is boeuf bourguignon, you know. Anyway, the French government passed a law in 2016 that required supermarkets to stop throwing out or destroying unsold produce that can still be consumed. Instead, they have to give it to food banks or other charities. A number of other countries have followed with similar laws, including Italy, Finland, the Czech Republic, and Peru. In 2018, France went a step further and passed a law requiring the agri-food and industrial catering industry to do the same thing as the supermarkets. So where do we go from here? We need to use the enormous technological tools we have at our disposal to make agriculture less destructive and more productive. We must help all countries catch up with innovations that requires money and new ways of funding agri-food innovators, things like crowd-lending platforms. None of this matters, though, unless society starts to see the real impact of our daily food choices and adjusts accordingly, whether it be by cutting waste or eating different food. Governments need to look at agriculture not just as an industry, but as an environmental factor. Then they can put the necessary policies and incentives in place. Here's a list of the four things you should be doing right now. Nicola, are you taking notes? I'm your sound guy, Matt. I'm literally recording it as we speak. Ah, yeah, of course you are. Well, anyhow, here's the list. Number one, use any one of the many apps available to cut your own food waste and help prevent other sources of waste. I'll put a list of those apps in the show notes. Number two, pay attention to where your food is coming from and its environmental impact. Number three, make sure that crops that can damage the environment, like palm oil, come from sustainable sources. Finally, number four, reduce the amount of meat and dairy products you eat, or at least try to consume meat and dairy from producers with good environmental practices. Okay, that's our episode. For the research, I want to thank Arnold Fabeek and Surya Fackelman in the European Investment Bank's Innovation Advisory Division and Brendan McDonough of the European Investment Advisory Hub. I'll put a full link to their report on climate and agriculture in the show notes. Subscribe to Climate Solutions and you'll learn what you should do to fight climate change in your city, in the oceans, on the road, in your home, and even on your digital devices. Okay, right now... Go and use the tips in this episode to start saving the climate and listen to our other episodes to do the job right. I'll be back with Nicola, the climate Croat, next time on Climate Solutions from the European Investment Bank, the EU Climate Bank. Mm-hmm.